Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. Your farming challenges are unique, so your practices should be too. We're here to share emerging ideas, build connections, and provoke conversation. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm your producer, Kim Chase. And I'm your host, Monty Bottens. Thanks for joining us. Before we jump in today, we'd like to let you know about our Aggie Merge Summer Summit. Mark your calendar for August 4th and 5th. Come see Monty in person and experience soil health and regenerative agriculture in action on the Bottens Family Farm in Cambridge, Illinois. From the basics to the wild side, get your questions answered and engage in thought-provoking discussion as we share years of experience in a full transparency farm tour. Oh, and we can't be all work and no play. So to wrap up the event, we'll spend a fun evening together in the pasture to enjoy dinner and live music at the fourth annual Concert with the Cows, hosted by Grateful Grays. So save the date, and to get more information about the event on our website, visit www.asn.farm. And now, on to our show. Thanks for joining us. Today, we welcome Brad Schmidt, Manager of Agronomy at Regeneration Nation. We've had the pleasure of knowing Brad for several years, and he was one of the speakers at our first Aggie Merge event back in 2019. Brad has a passion not only for soil health, but for bringing together people to share their regenerative management experiences with each other. Brad had the opportunity to work and learn under Dr. Dwayne Beck at the Dakota Lakes Research Farm, where he saw and experienced firsthand how these practices worked in some of the toughest soils. So listen in as Monty and Brad discuss the power of producer-based research, diversifying your operation, and why other companies are so interested in these practices and working with growers to build soil health. Welcome to this episode of the Ag Emerge podcast. I'm really excited to have Brad Schmidt with us today. Some of you may remember uh, Brad uh, presented at our very first Ag Emerge conference in Monterey, California, and we're excited to have him on here. Welcome, Brad. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, that's great. And um, tell tell us your story and give people a little background on who you are, where you're from, uh, where you live, and and those kind of things. Bring people up to speed. Yeah, for sure. No, it's been, uh, it's probably, it's been a couple of years, Monty, since we've been, uh, been in touch and everything, but, uh, but yeah, a lot of stuff has, has changed in the time since we talked last, but, um, so I'm originally from Southwestern Minnesota, uh, Tracy, Minnesota area. If anybody's familiar with that, um, grew up around there and family farms there and then, um, went to college at SDSU, um, in Brookings, South Dakota and got my degree in agricultural science there. So pretty, uh, diverse degree I guess in the sense of got a lot of different things underneath the belt and then uh, worked for Dwayne Beck at Dakota Lakes Research Farm when I was uh, in college there and that's where I first learned about no-till and and uh, all that kind of stuff and that just bred into the entire career that I have so far. I've uh, been very lucky to to meet all sorts of different people from all over the world and um, 
and yeah, I, I always tell everybody, I just have a, I don't understand how I got to where I am. Cause I just got a very, very lucky, um, career so far. Um, and then I, after I worked for Dwayne, when I graduated college, I worked at uh, Cronin farms in Gettysburg, uh, South Dakota under Dan Forgey, and then, um, left there and then went and worked, uh, for ducks unlimited for three years as their head agronomist for the U S and, and helped found and, and build their, uh, soil health program. That's pretty, um, nationally recognized now um, on that. And then at the end of my tenure with, uh, with DU, I, I started this company I work for now, um, Regeneration Nation, and we're a, a biological company um, just based on trying to bring more, more value back to producers and farmers and uh, trying to help bridge that gap of, of, uh, of trying new things and, um, and just keeping getting guys more profitable and, and everything. So, so yeah, well, it's an interesting journey. Yeah. You got to work with a couple of the heavy hitters early on there. So, um, you know, we have to say the Dwayne Beck, you know, yeah. on this, not, not just Dwayne Beck or the Dr. Dwayne Beck. Now Dwayne's retired now. Uh, did you make it to his retirement party by chance? You know, I was in Billings, Montana when, uh, when his retirement party was going on. So I missed it, but, uh, but yeah, he'll be, he, he'll be around for a couple of years yet. Uh, so Sam Ireland is the, is the new, new guy taking over for Dwayne there. So he's, uh, he's young and I think he'll do a fantastic job at Dakota Lakes and, and really help take Dakota Lakes to the, to the next level. Um, you know, and he'll be a good step in for Dwayne. Cause those are, those are big shoes to fill and, uh, and trying to find somebody that can, you know, have the quote unquote common sense of farmers and ranchers, but as well have that knowledge of working in, um, you know, a very heavy science research based type system is, is hard, is a hard person to find. So. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I can imagine, you know, Dwayne Beck does a lot of things really well. It's just hard to imagine him doing retirement well. So yeah, yeah. going to have to <laughs> have to really corral him and uh, make sure he's got um, plenty of air in his bike tires and and send him on his way. He needs to, yep. <laughs> he needs something to to keep him busy. That's for sure. But yep. no, he's he's really he's a legend in the in the no till world and um, in the uh, regenerative ag world. Now we we uh, is the term de jour. And he's really done some amazing things, especially for the dry land and irrigated West. Um, so it, it's a pleasure to know him and, and the impact he's made on millions upon millions of acres. So yes, tell, yes. Tell us this, what was it like working for him? So we've all got to see him on stage and we remember in his earlier days, he was, a, he was a little more edgy than <laughs> in the last 10 years or so, but uh, he wasn't afraid to tell it the way it is. And, and you knew what you were getting with Dwayne. That was, that was a beautiful part about him. Yeah. So what was it like working with him on a daily basis when you're there at Dakota Lakes research farm? He's the same as you see on stage. He's the real thing. Isn't he? <laughs> he's a, he's a real thing. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's no change in it whatsoever. So yeah, he's uh, he's the exact same. Don't you think one of his keys to success was he wasn't afraid to try something and he wasn't afraid to fail big at something too. Is that oh fair? yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say time. so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And, and that's, that's the beauty of research, you know, and that, right. and that spot, he had that, had that capability to really push the envelope and, and with Dakota Lakes being a, 
a producer led organization with affiliation with the university, I mean, you really get to, you get the producers minds on that board to really see what the producers want to see. And you do producer based research. And that's, that's what I think separates Dakota Lakes from any type of research at a university that they could do because it's, it's really farmer led. So and, you know, the partnership with South Dakota State, you know, at least probably sponsored a large part of all of, of maybe Dwayne's salary, right? But the operations of that farm still had to pay for the farm itself. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a free ride from the university. So I think that's another unique correct to that public-private partnership. Yeah, yep, exactly, exactly. It's a one-of-a-kind place. It yeah, really I, is. I wish There's, it wasn't. You know, I, yeah. I really wish it wasn't a one of a kind. We've we've discussed it in California and some other areas. I'd love to see a producer led because you're looking at, you know, systems and and how to do things better. And I think that's a unique part to it. Right, right, right. Now, what are what are what do you think is uh, some of the biggest things you learned being there? Oh, well, I came from Southwest Minnesota, you know, and going out to pier, that's a plow. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you don't moldboard plow at least once a year, if not twice, you are not cool. Yeah. And that's what I grew up on. I mean, that was the first thing I learned how to do was plow because it's pretty easy to put a a kid or a teenager in a plow and just put your tire in the furrow and, and pull away, you know? And uh, so when I, had first even heard about cover crops or anything like that. I mean, the first video I think I ever watched was something on, on Gabe Brown. And, uh, and this was shoot 10 years ago, probably. So the amount of information out there then is not even near to what it is now. And, um, and I had emailed Gabe at the time, just thinking it was a long shot to see who, uh, who, cause I really didn't want to go into sales necessarily at the time. And, and that's really what you had to do is either go into work for a co-op because there wasn't the cover crop stuff and the regenerative ag space wasn't, it wasn't then what it is now. And so the opportunities were pretty small at that point in time. And, and he told me to contact Dwayne and that's how I got in touch with him. So it, it was just an eye opening experience to go from uh, a place where everything is is turned black every single year to a place where they don't till the soil uh, ever you know and and seeing how water infiltration works and soil structure works and how microbes work in the system how crop rotation and cover crops and grazing and how all of that stuff and how nature really functions you know and being able to see that and i was like well shoot if they can make it work out here where annual rainfalls are 12 inches a year, maybe, you know, on, on soil that is not very good. And all of a sudden you have, you got six inches of soil and then you got shale rock and highly glaciated areas. I was like, if you can make it work here, I don't see why you can't make it work in the best soils in the world, you know, from Southern Minnesota into Iowa, Illinois, Indiana. And so that's, that was, that was my eye opening experience, I guess. Well, it was certainly whiplash. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> or mind, mind lash. If you will. Yes. Yes. Well, fantastic. I, uh, and then from there, you said you went on up the street, uh, you know, just next door and 40, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just South next... Dakota style. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. <laughs> yep. Dan's so been a pioneer in a, and really implemented a lot of things that is he on the board at SDSU or at, uh, I mean, uh, Dakota lakes. 
Um, I don't know if Danny's on the board anymore, he's a follower, but he's, and, a, yo, and, absolutely. You know, he, he put it in the practice at scale. You know, I, I visited his Correct. good guy and, and lots of cover crop knowledge and those kind of things. So I just, you went from the research side to the putting it practical in use, which is, uh, yeah, which was, which that was even a, even, I mean, Dwayne's was an eye-opening experience, but going there was even more because it's a, it's a large operation with things in place. And again, coming from Southwest Minnesota, where, I mean, a, a farmer could have 2000 acres and they got two or three, four wheel drive tractors and, you know, four implements, two combines, and then all this, all this stuff. And then I go out there and they're on 12,000 acres on 12 different crops, and you know, one, and leader, right. One, one, one 16 row planter at the time when I was there, you know, and now I think they have a, a bigger planter now, but either way, one planter, one air seeder, one drill, one four wheel drive tractor, two combines, Sleep you know, for not needed. It, yeah. Dakota, right? Yeah. No, no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just, it was amazing to, to see that scale of an operation with the, the minute amounts of equipment. And that was just a, a huge thing too, for me to understand like, wow, you really don't, you know, trying to, trying to be profitable is, is not just in, um, you know, and, and what you're raising your inputs as far as, you know, crops per year, but it's also what you have around for equipment and, and everything. So it was, it was very, very interesting. I heard Brian Jorgensen talk 20, 25 years ago about a similar style model and then they're not very far away from Dan either. But, yep. you know, when you go to various crops that have various times a year that you plant and harvest them, you do a much better job of asset utilization of your equipment. So you're, you're always planting something, always harvesting something because, you know, everybody complains about, well, I've got this $250,000 planter for four weeks out of the year and I got a million dollar combine and heads for, you know, six weeks out of the year. Well, you don't have to accept that. You know, you can look at uh, different, different areas, different rotations to, to maximize that. And, and really that's what you're saying Dan did is he, he was maximizing return on assets essentially with, with his, uh, his equipment and his. Yep. 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 Exactly. Yeah. And they, they do the same exact thing at JLC. Yep. Where, you know, for at Jorgensen landing cattle there. Yep. Same, same type of deal. And they have a phenomenal operation as well. So that, that whole, that whole central part of South Dakota is, is, you know, innovative. Yes, absolutely. uh, I think it's something to be, um, you know, when you're, when you're on the edge of, uh, you know, those kind of brittle environments, right? So you have less rainfall and poorer soil types. You have to be innovative to stay with it. You know, a lot of us that have been blessed with these amazing soils, um, do things that aren't optimum because you can do it and, and get away with it. Mm-hmm. You know, in the more uh, fringe type farming, marginal situations, it, it's the difference between, you know, making money and, and going broke. That, right, that right. Way. Well, and that's what Gabe, Gabe, you know, and uh, uh, folks that understanding ag all the time, everybody's got their unfair advantage, right? So, I mean, that's just, that's that whole thing right there, so. Yeah, and I think there's probably some competitive advantages in those dry land environments to where you come in with a better system you know, the land costs are one quarter of what they are in the heart of the corn belt and you can, you can do some good things, but it's mm-hmm. higher risk, you know, so yep. Yep. higher risk and, and requires better management. 
We're taking a short break to share that the Ag Emerge podcast is brought to you by the team at Ag Solutions Network. Rooted in innovation, ASN is committed to leaving the land better than we found it, not simply maintaining it. We're here to help you navigate the balancing act of productivity and building a legacy. From practices to products, ASN is more than a new jug. It's a new way of thinking. So don't be afraid to be different. Be afraid to be the same. Contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. And now, back to our show. So talk talk to us a little bit about um, uh, after that, you went with uh, DU, Ducks Unlimited. And they're, they're kind of closely aligned, I think, also with Pheasants Forever and, and a lot of the similar uh, things. But why is an environmental organization, you know, or a conservation organization, interested in what farmers do i mean is this it sounds like uh um they're trying to get us or something right you know <laughs> beware of those environmental groups uh, right uh, but no talk, talk to us about that you know and it's another public private partnership opportunity for for many farmers throughout the country really in in yeah. highways everywhere but you were in south dakota but you're aware of kind of the whole national strategy yep why are they interested in working together with farmers well, I mean, there's there's always been that gap with those um, nonprofit organizations and producers because, like you said, it's that what are they trying to get out of me or what are they trying to what's the gotcha thing? Like, mm-hmm. there's there's that little there's that little thing written in the fine print that you know we're not seeing and and um, when when I came in and and my manager at the time, um, Steve Donovan was very was very on board with trying something, trying to do something different to work with producers more because primarily in the prairie pothole region where I was in, you know, South Dakota, North Dakota, um, up into Canada and everything was a lot of those, which is the the duck habitat of the world. I mean, there's, that's where almost all of the ducks are born and raised is in this, is in this area. Well, the, the work that they had to do was primarily on private land. Well, if you have a, and who's the biggest private landowners in those States, it's farmers and ranchers. And if you don't have a good relationship with farmers and ranchers, how are you supposed to get your work done? You know, and that's where a lot of that fundraising money in that, in that organization went to is that area. And so that's why we started the whole um, soil health program was to try to bridge that gap with farmers and ranchers so that not only were we going to help them become more profitable in their farming operations by trying something different and helping to bridge those gaps of, of cost sharing on, on different practices of cover cropping, no-till, rotational grazing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but then we could also accomplish our conservation efforts in, um, you know, uh, repairing wetlands and, and all that kind of stuff. So ultimately that was their, you know, their goal and, you know, they're still going at it yet, you know, so they have a, they still have a team, um, that's, uh, that's heavily involved to trying to continue to do that. And, and when I was there, I mean, I, I traveled all over the U S um, working with different, uh, corporations and, um, and different businesses trying to, and, and producers trying to figure out how we could all best work together. Cause, ultimately we're all out there in a the landscape and we all have to kind of work together in order to accomplish our goals. And you can't, you can't do one thing by yourself and expect to expect to go a long ways without partnerships. And, and that's, that's true with anything. You have to have people around you that are, that have their strengths to, to keep you going. And, and that's what ultimately that was our goal. And 
like I said, they're still, still going yet. So, well, it's kind of the rule of real estate, you know, location, 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 and absolutely trying to do with any piece of real estate is optimize the revenue you can generate, whatever it's by square foot or by acre, you know, or by section. And I think it's a unique opportunity to look at those marginal areas. Uh, for example, in the prairie pothole region, we've got depressions uh, where water just doesn't run off to a stream. It's a, it's a basin type of thing. And the water runs to these potholes and accumulates. I'm just describing this for, you know, people out West. Uh, uh, there's something called rain. You don't see it very often, right? It comes down from the sky and these things called drops. And no, I'm, I'm joking, <laughs> but unfortunately the Western droughts, you know, it just, persistent and uh, rather terrible. But, you know, the, in this area of the country, the water would accumulate in these depressions. And we, you know, think we could raise a crop, right? They'd plant through them, till through them, and it'd get drowned out and weeds would come. And it just wasn't, it wasn't good for duck habitat, wasn't good for farmer profitability. So you're identifying those areas that were poor profitability, but have an opportunity for duck habitat. And it's like, okay, you know, don't plant these areas right? Mm -hmm. Save money and planning it. We're actually going to pay you to not do that. So we're going to pay you to not lose money. So that's making money twice, right? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the ecosystem and uh, ducks, along with other things, insects, pollinators, I'm sure many other things are going to benefit from that. So I think we really need to, as farmers, look at our stewardship um, that we've really been told we're land stewards and, and we need to take care of creation and, and think of where are those areas where we can do some targeted things and just a small amount makes a big difference. Doesn't it, Brad? I mean, oh, yeah. small change. What, yes. what kind of impact did that have if a farmer would take, you know, maybe 5% of their acres or, or what percentage would it be? And, and how much of an impact would that have, Brad? <laughs> Oh, it was, it was different, right. On, on, on different, different areas, you know? Um, but I mean, some fields, if you, if, if anybody wants to Google prairie potholes, I mean, some of the images that'll pop up are extensive amounts of water in, you know, a quarter section. I mean, you could have, some would have 10 or 15, basically little ponds or more in just 160 acres. So it's, it's significant in a way and depending on the practices put in place, like if we're using extensive amounts of tillage, if, you know, as, as anybody knows, the infiltration rates go down. Well, now that what used to be prairie grasses that infiltrated water and then whatever after soil profile was full, that's what would fill up wetlands. And when you're doing extensive amounts of tillage, you're not infiltrating anything. And now those wetlands are doubling, if not tripling in size sometimes. And now you're losing more landmass because you were tilling the soil. And so once we got guys to stop doing the tillage part and being able to, to infiltrate more water and hold more water in their soils and fill up their entire soil profile, we were starting to lower the amounts of water being collected in those, um, those prairie potholes. And then that also helped with, you know, saline problems because that's huge in the Dakotas. There's millions and millions of acres under saline seeps. And, um, you know, if you want to learn more about that, just watch some of Dr. Beck's stuff on, uh, on saline seeps and why they, why they occur. But, um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was huge and, and, and guys were either, and, and cattle is a huge thing too. And so if you could plant something around those, around those areas or in those, um, those wetlands and and get that 
the the livestock out there to get some at least some type of revenue off of those areas that you weren't getting before in a cropping system. So, so yeah, there was there was all sorts of different ways that that people were experimenting on things. Just depends on the operation. So, because at at the end of the day, you know, wealth is created by optimizing revenue you're generating per acre and that that comes from great management so it don't always have to be a grain crop that you're selling somewhere it can be like you said cattle that you're grazing habitat creation uh and and best better water cycle use is going to improve the acres uh that are in grain production so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, yep no i want to move on just a little bit to uh family farm update so um you know being being around Dwayne and dan uh, you had drank enough of the Kool-Aid and, uh, started doing some livestock integration at your own family farm. And, and you talked to us a little bit uh, four years ago now, when we were in Monterey, uh, talk, give us a little update. What's going on at the family farm. Still doing, uh, all the same stuff, you know, but just trying to do a little more innovation. And, uh, we started our direct marketing business probably, close to around that time uh, when I was first out there. So now we're four, four years into that. And um, we have our regeneratively raised cattle, um, sheep, pigs, chickens, turkeys. And then uh, now we're working with some other producers that have goats as well, uh, just to diversify the products that we have more to, to be able to bring to consumers. And, and so um, that business is continuing to grow and it goes through all the same growing pains that every other business goes through of, especially the last couple of years have been pretty insane with, with COVID and everything and how our food system is, is pretty broken. And, um, and so it's been, it's been, it's been very good. And it's been a very good learning experience for us, um, on that end of things. And so it's, everything's going very well though. So in your area, Southwest Minnesota, where your family farms at, you know, you're not 20 minutes away from Los Angeles or New York or Chicago or Houston, something like that. I wish uh, your, your, <laughs> big population base is what Sioux city, Iowa and Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That's your probably two largest neighbors. Yeah. Sioux, yeah. Sioux Falls is about an hour and a half from the farm. And then the twin cities are about two and a half, three hours from the farm. Um, primarily a lot of our stuff, we go up to the twin cities. That's our primary customer base. Um, and it's, that's the hard. I mean, I think that's the hardest part that people have to kind of realize and think about when they want to start direct marketing stuff is I think that's something that we should probably talk about more is yes, you're going to capture more of the dollar that you weren't getting before, but at the same point, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to spit, you're going to spend a lot more. It's a lot more time. And I think that's one thing with diversity is yes, it's good to diversify yourself, but if you're diversifying and putting more workload on your plate, now whatever you were doing really good at before, now you're doing half as good or a quarter as good, you know? So it's, it's a matter of trying to figure out your business plan and how you're going to execute that diversity. And, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's not easy. And especially in rural communities that you're a long ways from those, those hubs of, of large amounts of people that don't raise their own stuff. I mean, in, in these rural communities, it's hard to find somebody that doesn't know someone that raises beef 
or or pigs or something like that where they can get it for uh, you know a, a fairly decent price and it's going to be better than anything you buy in the store still it may not be necessarily like what what some would say is like you know the best raised or or whatever but it's still the quality is better because anytime it goes through a huge processing facility you could send the best stuff there you could send our stuff you know that we that that we raise or that you guys raise to money through those processing facilities and i think some way shape or form they'd mess it up and they'd come out <laughs> tasting pretty pretty bad so so yeah, well, there's, there's a lot of shortcuts in, in the processing chain too, as far as yeah. you know, we're doing dry aging, which, okay, you absorb more shrink, you know, four to 8% shrink versus wet aging, which is 1%. But uh, honestly, I like the taste, you know? Yep. Yeah. If a person's doing a premium product, you got to do a premium process. Yep. And, and on the other hand, I think something that's interesting is the whole market. And I've talked to a few people in the last few days about this, but the whole market revolves around fresh you know, oh, fresh is best. And a small scale farmer, we can't plan it to where we're, you know, killing animals every day and cutting them every day and delivering them every day. That just is not right. Right. All scale. But on the and other then- hand, you know, fresh meat in the meat case is anywhere from seven to 14 days old uh, prior to being purchased, you know, just because the time it takes to get there and get distributed and, and those kind of things. So, you know, thing I like about, I imagine you're frozen in your product, right? Yep. You know, so once that uh, cow comes or the side comes off the rail and cut into steaks within 24 hours, it's frozen. Yes. And then the next time that it's thawed is when the consumer goes to eat it. So, I mean, the most time it's exposed is, is 24 hours. And so it's not got microbial or enzymatic degradation for just that short period of time. So, um, people look at me a little weird, but they, you know, frozen is actually fresher. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and yeah, and it's like, and you still have to deal with, um, regulations, I mean, USDA is a hundred percent involved, uh, you know, in, in your States, depending on what state you're in uh, and what you can and can't do and how much you can and can't sell um, with, with fresh and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm kind of the same way too. I don't, it's, I'm a hunter as well. So when I, when I go deer hunting, I have 100% tried something after, right after I had, have killed the animal, I've, we've cut off back straps and threw them on the grill right away. And it's, it's chewy because the, the muscle breakdown, the animal doesn't go through rigor and it doesn't go through that whole process of protein structure breakdown and everything. So you, you a hundred percent know when you're eating something, that's fresh versus something that's, that's been able to age and, uh, and have that whole protein breakdown and, and muscle breakdown to, to be able to something that you can, they're not chewing on for 20 minutes. <laughs> I like, I like my steak, but I don't want to chew on a bite for 20 minutes. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, one of the other things that you said early on there is we got into this because, you know, Oh, there's more money in it and those kind of things. But, um, you know, there's, there's two problems that you, uh, brought up and that's um yeah you're not making all that money there's a lot of money spent to market and your time to do that thing and will harris um, was on the podcast here a few episodes ago and you know he said you know and i can't mimic his southern drawl but it, it makes you sound much more um uh, wise when you talk like Will Harris does. And, uh, he says, you don't get into this business because you're looking to be 
you know, make millions, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, mm-hmm. It's a higher price product and those, those margins look good, but it's, it, you don't do this because you're doing it to make a lot of money. And right. Right. You know, I think a lot of times that that gets uh shortcutted a little bit when you look at, you know, some people, well, here's how much profit per acre you can make on this and this. And it's like, yeah, but you've got a lot of overhead to, to a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. Cause you're taking that whole, that whole chain from when you bring it to said, um, sale barn, you know, and the, and you sell it to said buyer and that whole process in order to get it to somebody's plate, you're taking that entire process and now it's you and it, you have to figure out how to manage all that. And it's, and it's not simple, especially in the day of, of web stuff. It's not, it's not, you don't have storefronts, you have websites. And now you're talking about HTML and coding and all that fun stuff. And I don't speak hieroglyphics and that's what coding is to me. <laughs> so <laughs> I, 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 I pulled it up and I, I started to get into it one day and I was like, you know what? There's other people out there smarter than I am that can figure this out. I think I'll just talk to them. There you go. So, yeah. And I think, um, you know, it's the tremendous economics of scale of the current industry is, is impressive. I mean, it, it's, they've done a, amazing, amazing efficiencies. Um, yes. You know, uh, the problem that the, the diversity also brings is, you know, the jack of all trades, master of none, right? So I think that's, that's a couple things that have to be overcome. And I'm, I'm excited about, it. I think ag technologies can allow us to be a master at a smaller scale because there'll be more intuitive, uh, shared knowledge base that can help us make better management decisions uh, to help overcome that you know, jack of all trades, master of none concept. So, mm-hmm. yes. And, and I also think identity preservation and, and new style logistics is going to help us overcome that added costs that we have currently of poor, you know, logistics um, and supply chain economics of scale. So mm-hmm. I think that'll get slowly better over time and allow us oh, yeah. to be better. Yeah. But, uh, it'll take, that's, a that's what, I, that's what I like about, um, I, I follow, uh, uh, his name is Grant Cardone. If you ever, if you ever heard of Grant before he's a, but he talks about like your cell phone, right? Like it's not perfect at all by any means. And that's why they call, that's why they have software updates. It's, it's a little better all the time. It's a little better all the time. You're continually trying to progress and I, there's nothing in this world that's perfect. And I mean, that's, that's one thing that I had to, and, and, and I, that's, I would say that's why I've kind of stepped off the radar per se in the ways of like really being out there and in, in front of people and stuff four years ago, like, like I was, um, I had to kind of step back and, and really think about the whole processes of everything and be like, okay, there's nothing out there that's perfect in any way, shape or form. Everybody's got some type of skeleton in the closet somewhere. It's just a matter of, you know, trying to understand how, how things work and operate and, and everything. So, yeah. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about that four years ago when you're out more on the speaking circuit and such. You joined us to Nagy Merge in Monterey. Uh, great time. You shared about, you know, your family farm and what you were doing there and, and those kind of things. But you snuck in something a little extra in your California trip after the Ag Emerge conference, I believe. It was either after or before. I think it was after. It was after, yep. You went south to the, you know, the LA area. And yep. what did you do? 
I proposed to my beautiful wife there down there. Yep. <laughs> so almost an Aggie merge engagement, but not quite, but it was close. It was close. <laughs> I didn't do a spot to where you, it was made it easier to happen. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So you, yeah. I had, had to then, keep it a surprise. So there you go. And then you also uh, just celebrated a birth of your, is this your first child or first, first one? Yep. Oh, very good. Yep. Yep. Well, congratulations on all of that. So you yeah, know thank what's you. Going to happen out of making a trip to an innovative conference? You know, you know, yeah, you just started. It's uh, no. yep. <laughs> <laughs> no, really happy for you. That that yeah, thank great you. Great news. So yeah, yeah, thank you. Well, tell us about Regeneration Nation. What's what's that all about? What are you up to? What's what's the latest brainchild here? <laughs> well, so I mean, through all my work with with DU and just being involved with the regenerative space and and uh, and meeting everybody and meeting and working with producers um, all over the place, I just felt like there was a there was a gap, right? And like, I never wanted to necessarily get into sales, but it was also because I never really understood what sales necessarily meant. Um, I think sales has a bad connotation, um, through a lot of, a lot of folks, like, I don't want to get bothered by the salesman, you know, or I don't want to talk to the, the salesman, but at the same point in time, like everything we do on a daily basis is based around sales. I had to sell my wife on me as a person, you know, you are <laughs> luckily, a good salesman. I tell luck, you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I outkick my coverage, you know, like I think like most of us do. Uh, but, uh, but everything you do on a daily basis is based around sales. And once I, once I realized that I was like, okay, sales isn't necessarily about pestering somebody or anything. It's like, how much value can I bring to somebody um, in exchange for, other forms of value it doesn't necessarily have to be monetary. Um, but it's just, it's all about value. And once I learned and realized everything, you know, in life is about bringing value to others. That's when everything changed for me. And, and so I started uh, regeneration nation based on that. I want to bring more value to people and there's more value that could be brought to, to producers and so that's why I started the the biologicals uh, side of things because I felt like it was that that step to to help bridge that gap of uncertainty going down the regenerative route. Right? I mean, everybody's trying to find that that um, like, okay, what's how am I going to battle this 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 yield loss that I'm going to you know, this perception of yield loss I'm going to have as soon as I start uh, going down this route and, and how do I build up my biological, biological activity and how do I diversify my crop rotations and how do I do all this stuff? And, and that's what I wanted to do. And so that's, that's how this all got started. And so now we, we have our, and we're just a biological company. That's all we do. We have no seed, we have nothing like that, which sometimes can, can be difficult and we don't have a consulting side of things. You know, I, I, I share my, my knowledge with people that want it. And, and that's, that's kind of what we do. And um, so it's, it's difficult when you battle consultants um, that, that people hire on their, you know, their operations, because for some reason, most producers now we that we've we've hired somebody to make our decisions for us rather than being our own decision makers and which you know when when that person isn't necessarily the one out on the 
land day to day, you know, it's, 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 it's your land, it's your business and hiring somebody else that's not necessarily involved as deep as you are to make your decisions for you is, is difficult, you know, and that's why you want to make sure that that value that is exchanged. I'm not saying everybody's bad, you know, but just making sure that value that's getting reciprocated to you is, is what you're actually looking for. And then, so. And I think sometimes uh, the consultants are, uh, feel the role of a gatekeeper in order to, uh, be of value to their farmer client. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they, um, uh, but at the, unfortunately at that same time, they're also doing things that can potentially not allow a farmer to try something new, do something new, move to the next step. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a balancing act, you know, that you do need an information source, but, um, you do have to not just give them carte blanche control of everything. So, Correct. Correct. Yeah, it's, yep. a, it's a challenge in, in, yep. in, in the way the ag community is structured, you know, essentially, you know, uh, you're selling a product to pay for you mm-hmm. for, to pay for your brain. Right. Yep. You know, exactly. It's the way the ag community works right now. And, uh, uh it's kind of sad because the value is in you, not in necessarily in the product, but you Correct. Know, sell a product to pay for you. You know, how, how do you decouple that? Oh, I, my, I guess my, the way my, I'm not the, uh, the normal salesman, I guess, because I don't care if somebody buys a product from me. I just flat out with that right away. I'm not, I'm not necessarily yet. Do I sell product when I'd be super happy if you bought something a hundred percent, you know, but my interest is in making you better at what you're doing. So if you're, if you're looking for an expert in, um, in a, in a, in a super intense grazing scenario and you live in the desert, well, I have zero experience there and I'm not going to try to act like I do, but I'm fortunate enough that I've been able to meet those types of people that are experts in that field. And I'll be more than willing to connect you with that person, you know? So, so for me, I like to try to connect people to what their entire goals that they want to accomplish are rather than trying to shove something, some down somebody's throat that they, that they don't want, you know, and I've, you get told no a lot on the biological side of things because of the whole snake oil stuff that came around in the, in the eighties and everything, but, um, which is fine. You know, there's people have bad experiences with certain things, but I think we all learn from our bad experiences and it's not saying that you can't ever try something again, but how can you look at things in a different light? And so I just try to bring that different, different light to people, um, in what I do. So, but don't you think biologicals are cool now? I mean, you know, ever since we hit the, whatever, $7 corn in the previous cycle, they kind of, everybody came out of the woodwork, it seemed like. And, uh, uh, now it's in the magazines all the time. And, uh, I think we really shifted from a, a snake oil to, oh, you know, you ought to just try this, uh, mm-hmm. you know, oh, it's only a couple bushel. That's my favorite thing. Uh, yeah. you know, uh, I think there's, there's wider acceptance, right. But there's, um, just more, well, everybody's got a product additive approach instead right. of system approach. Right. Right. And like everybody's got a product. Somebody's got a product somewhere. Every big corporation's got one because they don't want to miss out on 
uh, you know, a, a few more sales to their, to their bottom line. So, I mean, I'm not against anybody else's product either. Everybody, it, I'm sure their stuff, I'm sure their stuff works just fine, you know, and a lot of this stuff is really should be probably used in symbiosis together versus separate. Um, and I guess my whole goal is to make guys more profitable. So how can we look at the entire operation and not necessarily, I mean, for example, this year, fertilizer prices, I mean, they're astronomical. I just talked to a guy yesterday out in Wyoming that he got quoted at $2,000 a ton for urea. I mean, that's, that's insane. So those guys out West that one, they're not getting any rain. So you really can't, you can't do anything. I mean, water's the most limiting nutrient you have. So if you don't get any rain, you, you're not, you're, doesn't matter how great you are or how fantastic the management is. If you don't get any rain at all, you're not going to get anything. And so trying to cut back on what people are using for fertility and, and synthetic fertilizers and just trying to go down that more natural route and really help widen profit margins is, is my whole goal. I, you know, you could add it on top of everything that you, that you currently do and right. You're right. Get a few more bushels, but is that, is that really helping you out long-term? You know, how can we look at it as a, as an entire scope and, and really start to cut back on, on other things and how, how can we cut back on, on is, is creating healthier, stronger plants, helping in, in drought resistance and, and drought scenarios rather than having a drought resistant variety and paying more for that. What about this biological that helps in drought resistance? Um, and, and saline helping with just making a healthier plant. So you're have less disease pressure, less insect pressure, um, as well as harvesting the nutrients from the atmosphere and, and, and in the soil, you know, so it, I look at it from a whole system, I guess, is my whole deal. So you mean to tell me the ag retailer that owns the fertilizer mine and all the rail cars and logistics and the fertilizer shed and everything and their whole business models based on tons of throughput is maybe not necessarily interested in you adding a biological and reducing the other fertilizer. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know about that. But, but wait a minute. They sell the biological, right? Yeah. But you got to keep using everything and maybe, yeah, just a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why some is good. Uh, more is more is better yeah yep. it's only been that way since fertilizer was introduced after world war ii right so yeah yep. um, but i i think there's there's something to be said about uh if you have if you're getting your uh, biological components from a big retailer uh so you know a nutrient a simplot helena all all the big boys wilbur ellis uh, they all have extraordinary invested interests in traditional fertilizer products. So to, to get a recommendation to reduce their main line uh, because they're adding a biological just probably won't align a whole lot, right? Not necessarily. No, not unless they're wanting to completely ax all the rest of their business, <laughs> you know, and that's, and, and that's why we're not going to be involved with any of that because that's not our goal. You know, our goal is to, is to help producers because I, I'm also come from the producer side, very close with it. And, you know, I'm not actively necessarily involved on the, the farming operations day to day. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm 
directly right there. I have the conversations every single day with my family. So I have that, that, that whole thing of like, I'm, I'm sick of farmers and, and ranchers just getting screwed over, you know, and it's, to me, it's time for, for people to start, start working together again, like they used to, you know, rather than this whole back and forth, like, I'm not going to talk to my neighbor about things and I'm not going to help my, you know, my neighbor, unless they are like, absolutely, they had some type of injury or something like that. And, you know, then we'll, then we'll help our neighbor. But other than that, their competition, it's not, it shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be competition. It should be how can we re-grab a part of the marketplace that other people that aren't necessarily involved with ag or understand the whole processes and understand the lifestyle and understand the work and understand everything that goes into it, make the decisions for us. We need to have a bigger seat at the table. Oh, and one company controls 60% of the market and is interested in moving to two thirds in the next five years or so. Um, and that'll be done by acquisition and those kind of things. I, that's a problem. You know, you get limited choices for farmers and um, limited leadership. So it, it's, it's a challenge for, for the future of agriculture. Yes. Well, what else is on your radar in the future, Brad? Uh, other than, you know, baby number two and three, four, five, and six. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, else, uh, what else do you find interesting happening in agriculture or in, or in your world uh, as, as yeah. here today? It's a, it's a good question. I, uh, actually it's funny because people will ask me like, what, uh, ag podcast do you listen to or like, what shows do you watch or, or whatever? And to be honest in the last three or four years, and it's nothing against anybody's ag podcast or anything like that or, or books or whatever, but I've separated myself from it and dove down into more business side of things and really trying to study more people involved with, um, different types of businesses, um, um, all the way from real estate, to marketing and, and all that kind of thing, because it's all intertwined in agriculture. It's just a part that nobody ever talks about. We talk about what happens day to day operations and how do I get my plants to grow? But that's that's the basis of it there's farmers, everything farmers else like the farm right correct and, and yeah the business end of it is weak i mean uh, I, I agree with you the whole soil health movement regenerative movement is just all oh it's all rainbows and unicorns right and yeah that's great and that's the way we need to have but how do we monetize it how do we how do we make something of it and right right and we have that we share that same frustration yeah and that was i had because it seems like once you get the, the the regenerative bug in you, right? Like you want to tell the world about it, and that's that's what you want to do, and that's what I was for you know for so long, you know, right away. But rather than trying to, it, it still it frustrates me like crazy when I drive up and down the road and see you know dirt just filled in the ditches. It drives me insane. But now. I just don't, I don't, I try not to let it get to me as much and try to understand why, why it's happening in the first place and what's the mindset behind all of that. And because, I mean, I don't know, you're, you're going to have haters in everything you do. And to be honest, haters are good because they talk about you but at the same point in time too. You can't let them 
comp, you know, take up your whole mind space. And that's what I used to do too, is I would sit on, you know, Twitter or Facebook for, you know, hours responding to people and, and you'd be like, that's not right. But it just, it just takes up too much of your bandwidth. You know, I, I think what I was going to yeah. is that you can talk about it forever, but if you yeah. don't do something or take you don't action do something. on it, what good does it do? Correct. You know, that's what we've always been um, focused on is we're trying to bring together on this podcast and in this communication effort we're trying to do is we're trying to bring together innovator uh as far as you know uh, the, the Dwayne Becks of the world and the other researchers and thought leaders that are out there along with ag technologists people that are providing product services and advanced technologies to make things happen with innovative farmers to to solve this problem to make a large-scale movement towards regenerative agriculture you know it's it's easily adopted at the homestead and the farmstead scale but to help a conventional farmer, you know, that's, you know, two to 20,000 acres make this change. It's, it requires uh, extra uh, fortitude, uh, support, and, and services to make it happen within their own context. And, and I'm mm-hmm. with you. There's, there's a lot of talk. Okay, but it's not yeah. action, and, right? Uh, yeah, and you got to take and you got to take massive action. Yeah, you, you know it. it sure. Yeah, it takes it takes that massive action, and 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 I'm an oppor- I'm an opportunist rather than a pessimist. So like, I really see opportunity in things, and I don't want to miss out on opportunities, but you know when and that's what kind of i said this before too is like when you go through a hard time it's not a matter of giving up on that that one thing but like learning from that experience and being like okay how can i go back to it and change it you know and that's what i've that's what i've been immersing myself in is just trying to study all these extremely successful people and how they got to where they were not necessarily what they do, but like, what's the principles behind everything that they do and how they've, and how they've done it and try to see the symmetries with that in everything that we go through in, in agriculture and try to bring that to this field is kind of, is kind of what I've do. So I'm, I'm very involved with ag on a day-to-day basis, but I don't necessarily dive down deep, deep into all of the, all the stuff, you know, I have, if I have questions, you know, with everybody that's immersed in the stuff, I just call the people that are immersed in the stuff and ask, ask them, ask them the questions. So, well, very good. Uh, any other thoughts or, or things we should have asked uh, while we were together here today? You know, I don't know. I don't know. I just appreciate you having me on and everything. It's, it's been fun to catch up and, uh, and, uh, yeah, we have, we have some, we have some big things, um, in the works with, uh, with regeneration nation coming up here in the next couple of years. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk about it right now, but, uh, it's, uh, one of those things we're trying to refine it before, uh, before we really start blasting it out there. But we have some, we have some cool things coming about and I'm, I'm really excited for, for the direction we're headed and, and, uh, the amount of value that we'll be able to, to bring to people. So, well, very good. I appreciate you uh, sharing with us today, everything you have and, and, and all the thoughts about, where we're headed with uh, regenerative agriculture. And like you said, we need to look outside of the ag industry to pull in their best practices and adopt them to the ag industry because we can learn a lot of things from uh, people outside of our space. So, yep. uh, nope, that's great. I appreciate you sharing with us today, Brad, and it's great to catch up and we'll, uh, we'll be talking to you soon, I'm sure. Sounds good. Thanks, Money. All right. Thank you, Brad. 
Thanks for listening to this conversation today. You know, Monty talked about how Brad got to see soil health practices working in some of the most brittle environments and how that can often force innovation and finding new ways to make these soil health practices work. There are a lot of factors going on today that may be forcing innovation. So let's keep the conversations and information flowing so we can identify solutions and hone management practices that work in your operation. And to learn more about what we're doing to help growers implement soil health practices, check out our website at asn.farm. And there you can click on links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.